So Money episode 1229, Amber Masters, founder and CEO of the mobile app Paid Back. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We'd gotten through about half of our debt payoffs, about $300,000 of debt we paid off and we felt comfortable like we have a plan that's working, we're doing things that are working and we can help other people do this, I think. And this was right around the time the pandemic hit and I had this idea for this app. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're in conversation with an attorney who became an entrepreneur in the pandemic, Amber Masters. She is the founder and CEO of the app Paid Back. It makes debt payoff simple and fun. And she and her husband would know, as you just heard the little snippet, she is currently $300,000 out of debt but has still another $300,000 left. She and her husband have a total of $600 plus in combined debt, mostly stemming from her husband's education loans. Her story is one of determination and strategy and tenacity, how she was able to build this company while trying to get out of debt in a pandemic. She's also a mom, quite inspiring. She's also started the website deeplyindebt.com to document their journey of paying off the student loans. Amber has been featured in places like CNBC, ABC, Yahoo Finance, and now on So Money. Here we go. Here's Amber Masters. Amber Masters, welcome to So Money. Hi, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for reaching out with your story. I want to begin in like eight different places. It's (laughs) going to be hard to figure out where to begin. You are the founder and CEO of an app called Paid Back, which you say makes paying off debt simple and fun. We'll see about that. Uh, (laughs) But what's I think really cool, maybe not cool, but fascinating is that like so many Americans, right, you and your spouse arrived at your careers carrying student loan debt, but the two of you together collectively $650,000 in student loans. Tell me about your mindset, somebody who goes into the education world, like with the intention of getting a degree, in your case, a law degree, and knowing you're going to come out with six figures worth of debt. What made you feel like you could handle that? Honestly, I think at the time I wasn't concerned. Everyone I talked to was like, oh, you'll be a lawyer. You'll have a great salary. You'll be able to pay off debt. No problem. I think things maybe 20 years ago, that was more true. Like, I don't think we really understood the weight of like six figure debt and not just six figures in our case, but like more than half a million dollars in debt. Um, So I, yes, I went to law school. I graduated actually fairly unscathed. It was around $50,000. My husband, however, went to dental school and it was about $50,000 a semester. So we just honestly did not fully grasp the weight of what that would mean in terms of paying it off. We were just told, oh, it'll get forgiven. Oh, you'll be able to pay it off with your salaries. You'll be fine. So we didn't, we weren't worried. Then. So he had the he had all of it almost six hundred thousand of it. Yeah, he had he carried he carried the Ooh. weight on that one. Yeah, <laughs> he still got married. Yeah, I got married before, so <laughs> too late. Too um, late. 
how did it show up in your life? You say you didn't know like what it was really going to mean, but then you, I'm sure you found out. Yes, we did. So I graduated the year before he graduated from dental school. I graduated from law school. And I remember sitting in this um, kind of meeting that our law school had of, oh, here's how you're going to pay off your debt. You just sign up for... Just. Yeah. Yeah. You just (laughs) sign up for IBR and you'll pay 10% of your income or you'll just sign up for this 10 year plan and you'll pay it off in 10 years. And I went like I, my jaw just dropped and I was like, I'm going to pay this off for 10 years. Like this will take 10 years. (laughs) And, um, and then I, I just started feeling really heavy because not everyone in my law school obviously had a spouse with the amount of loans that my husband had. And I looked up his and kind of calculated what our, our minimum payments were going to be and just got like super stressed out. Basically (laughs) had a lot of sleepless nights. I was freaking out. And I've always been a person who is like on a budget and super, you know, like I pinch every penny and, um, you know, like I'm the kid, like running the lemonade stand type of thing. And so I was really stressed out, didn't sleep for probably a week and just started like using my law, kind of type A personality and focus that in on kind of personal finance and specifically debt payoff, whipped us up a plan. And um, you did all this. That's interesting. Are you kind of that person in the relationship? You're with more of the money minded person? For sure. My husband is much more like, oh, it's going to work out. We'll be fine. Um, and I, and it works out. Because, well, I know how much dentist charges just got through a root canal. And let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, so he's probably right. Like, it would be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like 15 root canals. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to pay off his student loans, right? <laughs> so, what was your plan? Like, So obviously you had a strategy that inspired an entire business, actually led you to leave your law career. But we'll get to that in a second. But for your own personal pay- debt payoff journey, mm-hmm. what did that include? What were the trade-offs? So we knew we wanted to pay it off quickly. We did not want to use any... We didn't want to rely on the government. Turns out that was probably a good choice because <laughs> we still haven't seen loan forgiveness for a lot of people. But uh, So we knew we wanted to pay it off on our own. We started a plan to pay it off aggressively, which meant... Um, keeping a strict budget. We started sharing our journey publicly. So we made a blog and then Instagram and we just started sharing our numbers like, hey, we paid off this much this month. Here's how we did it. Here's what our budget. I send out a newsletter still every week that says like, here's how much money I spent this month and how I did it. And um, started sharing that to keep ourselves accountable. And um, I think like the stress of like knowing people were watching was like, oh my gosh, I got to get this paid off as quickly as I can for one thing. And then it also um, provided kind of a mechanism for our own debt tracking. Like we're sharing this publicly, but we're also watching our numbers kind of go down. We're sharing our budget. So like if we step out of line, you know, like people people are watching, like our parents are reading these emails. Well, many people with even just $100,000, even though that's a lot uh, of student loan debt, have to delay many milestones. They may put off buying the home. They put off starting the business. Were there any delays that the two of you experienced or things that you put off, trade-offs even? For sure. We weren't planning on starting our family until we had chipped away at more debt. I got pregnant uh, my third year of law school. And honestly, that was a bit of the catalyst of like, we better get our finances figured out. <laughs> um, but we, so we didn't end up delaying, but we were planning to. And then as far as buying a home, we weren't intending to buy a home either, but we figured out a way how to house hack or in other words, like we have renters and then we pay our mortgage with the rental income that we get. We couldn't have done it otherwise, I don't think. So your husband's debt inspired a business. 
Yeah. In the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we could, we should thank him um, uh, a little bit. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. That's, that's a stretch. Uh, but tell me about where you were in this journey. And I know you're still trying to pay off the debt that you mm-hmm. decided to take a risk amidst all of this, a financial risk really to leave a, a career in law to pursue paid back, which is uh, the app that you developed as founder and CEO. This app, as I said earlier, making debt pay off simple and fun. Tell me about that pivot. Well, it was sort of circumstantial. We'd gotten through about half of our debt payoffs, about $300,000 of debt we'd paid off and we felt comfortable. Like we have a plan that's working. We're doing things that are working and um, we can help other people do this, I think. And this was right around the time the pandemic hit. And I had this idea for this app. So I kind of use these four core principles in my own debt payoff, which is tracking debt, um, calculating ways to save on debt, whether that's making extra payments or lowering your interest rate, um, keeping yourself accountable, like having other people watch your journey, and then celebrating debt milestones. So I knew I had these core four things I was doing that I could somehow get other people doing as well. And I'd been kind of sharing it on Instagram and things and kept getting asked, like, how like how can I do what you're doing? And so that was kind of the idea behind the app is like, use these four core principles and put them into an app so that people don't have to do like all the research that I've done. They can just hop on the app and there's their debt and they can pay it, make their extra payments and it's all good. Um, was kind of the idea. So it was really scary. It was right around the time um, the coronavirus hit, as I said, and I was actually on bed rest with twins. <laughs> wow. Um, but I was like, if I'm going to be laying here on bed rest doing nothing, like now's a great time to try out the app and see how it goes. Hmm. Unbelievable. So how do you appify something like accountability and milestone wins? I mean, which I I love these steps. I think that we underestimate the power of keeping yourself accountable. We often think, we often obsess over like the method, you know, is it going to be debt avalanche or debt snowball, which is important. Uh, and you talk about that, you know, on your blog and it, it's part of the app, but, but a lot of it is the community and feeling like you can do this, the mindset. How do yeah. you, but how do you appify a mindset thing? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, so we've kind of made it like if you've ever used the app MyFitnessPal where you track your calories or you can track your macros in the app. So it's kind of that same idea, but you're tracking debt. So you have friends who maybe are your friends in real life. You can invite contacts like from your phone or like that's kind of scary for some people. We don't want to share uh, maybe like we don't want our in-laws to know we're in debt or whatever. Um, you can also find like people who have like tons, like there's all kinds of like funny different pseudonames in the app, like debt-free one, two, three or whatever their username is. You don't actually know them in real life, but you can follow them. They can follow you. They can comment and like your progress. You can share information in, um, there's like a status update bar, just like on Facebook. Um, for example, like I think I saw a couple of days ago, I saw someone post like, what what are sinking funds? And then there's this big thread on what people are using sinking funds for and how they're doing it. And so it's it's kind of collecting all these like-minded people, whether you know them in real life or maybe not, um, and keeping that motivation up. You have probably discovered this in your own research. And I know that you um, worked with a startup accelerator called mm-hmm. Launch. I believe the founder was also an angel investor in Airbnb and Uber and Robinhood. So you were in great company there. For sure. Um, but is it true? And I've, I've only seen this in my own experience, but I wonder, is it true that debt apps or get out of debt apps are not as ubiquitous as say like budgeting apps and investing apps and that 
there are more categories in personal finance dedicated to other verticals, debt seems to be an area that is a lesser addressed. And I remember there were a time, there was a time when, when there were a couple and they went out of business. And so I don't know, what did you find? Like, what's the, what's going on with, with debt apps and getting out of debt apps? And if they, if they're not around or lasting, like what's going on? Are people just not yeah. tapping into them? They do, they're not working? Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the money that developers can make by creating different kinds of apps <laughs> for one thing. So um, this, like, this is an app that's teaching you how to not spend and, yeah, exactly. you know, as opposed to putting your money into a stock fund or, you know, so I guess I get that. Right. It's not as financially lucrative perhaps. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's less for like a founder, for example, but I think it's also um, trying something that hasn't been done. So there's apps like, like Dave Ramsey has an app called Baby Steps, but it's fairly expensive. And I think that's why not everyone has it, even though Dave Ramsey is obviously a household name, you know, in personal finance, but people who are trying to pay off debt aren't super excited about forking out 150 bucks a year for the app. So um, we've tried to keep the app as either free sort of or counterintuitive, right? Counterproductive. Yeah, yeah exactly. And like, I, could, I get the idea that like, oh, it's kind of like starting a gym. Like if I pay to go to a gym, I will go. And so maybe if I pay for this app, I'll actually pay off my debt. Um, so I kind of try to use that mentality, but keep it as it's free or in some cases, very low cost um, between one and $5 a month for the app where um, $5 a month where people can text debt experts. So like vetted money coaches in our app, they can ask financial questions. So that was like a big barrier I had, you know, because um, someone new paying off debt, like, I can't spend hundreds of dollars on a financial advisor. I don't, I don't know how to trust money coaches. Anyone I talk to ends up just trying to sell me like life insurance basically. And I just want like this one question answered. And so we um, incorporated this text to debt expert feature and tried to big, break that barrier. So I think the reason some apps, some debt apps haven't succeeded is because they've been, oh, you have to use the debt snowball method. Here's how you do it. Enter in all your things, but not like gamifying it or making it fun or even simplifying it. It still feels really heavy. But when you open up payback, you're like, at least, <laughs> I mean, I'm biased, but I feel <laughs> like it's uh, very easy to use. It's easy to see your debt. And it kind of gamifies the whole process of paying off debt. Do you have a favorite method between the debt avalanche method, which is where you target your credit card balance with the highest interest rate first? You make minimums on all your debt, but you put the extra payments towards your highest interest debt first. I like that one. The debt snowball is where you target your smallest credit card balance first, continuing to make minimum payments on your other debt. And kind of think of it, I like this one too. Because uh, it, it, it is, it, I think in the beginning, especially when you're trying to get motivated to be able to erase let's say the one store credit card with like the $80 on it, mm -hmm. even though it has the, you know, it probably it does have the highest interest rate. So you're getting two for one there. Um, but then there's also a method that you write on your blog about the worst debt repayment method is where mm -hmm. you target your least favorite debt first. Talk through some of these methods and how someone should decide which one is right for them. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's also a problem. I'll just go back to your previous question of financial advice is we try to make it all one size fits all and you have to follow this route or you're not going to succeed. But the truth is personal finance is personal and what works for person A might not work for person B. I personally like the debt avalanche method because I like 
saving the most money on my debt. That's the most important thing to me. Um, some people like the debt snowball method because it's really inspiring for them to pay off those smaller balances and keeps them motivated to keep going. Um, I like kind of a combination of the methods, like paying off your worst, your least favorite debt first, and then moving on to like the debt avalanche. Or maybe if you just want the motivation to get started, you could start with debt snowball. And then as you get the hang of it, move on to debt avalanche, um, you know, just depending on how much debt you have. But yeah, personally, I like debt avalanche. I understand that it's it's not one size fits all. And I think we're seeing that more with millennials and Gen Z um, kind of having different goals for their lives than maybe like our parents did. Um, it's a, a bigger emphasis these days on lifestyle. Like we're not as concerned about the same things as generations before us. In conversations that I've had with various guests on this show that have gone out of similarly six figures worth of debt, uh, for example, Nee and Renee Darko, uh, they're both doctors. I think they might even have MBAs and they both also collectively had $600,000 in debt. Um, I'm thinking also of John Capitaneus, who was a producer for ABC News. And he came on the show, talk about how we get out of like 100,000 plus, of, I think mostly credit card debt. And what resonated with me in the, if those two particular stories stand out, the borrowers in those stories, they all said that they had to get really uncomfortable in their lives. And I, I that is meant to inspire, not, not to get people to turn this podcast off, but really like <laughs> that you have to make big decisions around your lifestyle. And it, because if you really, if you're committed to getting out of a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars worth of debt or more in a short period of time, like you and your husband are, something has to change. Right. Mm -hmm. And we often think of that as like sacrifice, but is there a way to think about this where you can actually be motivated? I mean, for the couple, for example, the Darkos, they just worked a lot and they worked overtime. Fortunately, they liked their jobs and they said, you know, probably I wouldn't recommend this to somebody else because you have to be able to not to like go on not a lot of sleep. Um, but they were able to get a handle at least by bringing in more income. That was the lever that they pulled was bringing in more income. Mm -hmm. John, on the other hand, he just he did work over time, but he also, I think, like went back home and lived with his parents. I mean, he made real lifestyle shifts and he was okay with it because he liked seeing the numbers drop on the debt levels. Any adv advice for people in terms of how to redesign your life? Do you, do you agree with that? That you have to sort of make big changes? Totally. Um, at least you have to make some changes. You can't continue doing what you're doing too and expect a change if you're not making a change. Um, but one thing, uh, well, two things, I guess, that we've really focused on is cutting big spending. So we always had a goal to like not pay a lot in rent or not pay a lot in a mortgage. Um, and then the same thing with our cars. So we drive like the world's crappiest cars. <laughs> like my husband's car, like might count as a go-kart. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's, like, it's got like 200,000 miles. It like puts around and I'm always nervous when he drives it. But um, so for us cutting big spending, instead of focusing on like the minute little details of like, oh, you can't stop, you know, for lunch or you can't do this or that. We're like, well, if we can just make those payments as low as possible, that's a good starting point. Um, sure. and, that, and that's worked well for us. And then as we did, we started with that and then we're like, okay, what else, you know, like what can we cut next? And we started getting more down to like the nitty gritty things. Like we don't have Netflix anymore and, um, you know, like more smaller payments that, that do add up. And I see a lot, there's a lot of trending things on social media about how, um, buying your latte every day is not gonna, 
damage your budget or whatever. And it's it's really about like prioritizing your budget. What is most important to you? And if it's debt payoff, then that gets the most the most attention, the most money poured towards it. Yeah, I agree. Like you kind of take care of the most important things first. And then if you have money after that, do whatever you want with it. It's your discretion. Go buy a latte, go on a you know mini vacation, whatever is left, that's for you to hopefully enjoy at this point because you know that you have taken care of the more, the bigger responsibilities. So where is paid back now in its app evolution? Where, where what are we, how, what is the experience like and where do you hope to take it? Yeah, right now, um, I'm not sure if you mean like how many people are using it or that kind of thing. But <laughs> well, I was thinking more just in terms of the user experience. Yeah. So I'll kind of walk you through, I guess, like how it works. So when a person logs in, they can enter in their debt, their account credentials, basically. So they can enter in all of their debt. They can see it in one place. And then we'll ask them what their goals are. Like, um, are you trying to pay off debt fast? Are you most worried about a certain kind of debt, like credit card debt? Are you trying to raise your credit score? And once we know um, what your goals are, we can tell you what debt to focus on first. And then this is coming shortly in the next couple of months. You can actually make extra payments in the app. And um, we'll make recommendations on ways to save money, whether that's lowering your interest rate or um, how much money per month you should be making in extra payments to be debt-free by a certain date, for example. And then we have the social media feed we kind of chatted about before where you can find people in this public feed and it's got blog posts and personal finance content if you want to learn about personal finance or if you don't, you just follow friends and you can like and comment on their progress or source the community for questions. Um, you can text, or I mentioned before, you can text our debt experts and they're all they're all friends that I've made on Instagram, vetted money coaches, people who I personally have vetted and who I trust um, to help with debt questions like what student loan repayment do I choose? Um, kind of like your your BFF that knows about your debt <laughs> to help you get yes. through that. And then um, and then we help celebrate milestones. So when you make extra payments, when you hit milestones, like you've paid off $5,000, $10,000, uh, we throw, literally throw confetti for you. And we, if you have your profile set to public, we'll display it in the public feed so people can like and comment on it and help keep you motivated. Where I see it going is really um, continuing on with kind of the more financial advisement side of it and breaking that barrier where financial advisement has been um, so high cost, almost um, inaccessible to many of us. For sure, young grads, lower income people haven't been able to access that kind of financial advisement. And when you are, like, for example, like our school would provide these financial advisors who would come talk to us and then they just wanted to sell us life insurance. And um, so I wanted to break that barrier or make it accessible to all. And I want to kind of emphasize that more so when in the coming weeks and months. Nice. Make it more equitable. Yeah. I think there's a huge white space for people who want to create Uh, technology in service of personal finance goals, but really with this mindset of inclusion and and equity, right? Um, Using, for example, AI to help widen the accessibility of people like, you know, qualifying for loans and investing. I did a whole story on like the black wealth gap, particularly in real estate and how, for example, credit scoring models, they're, I think they're realizing their, the racial barriers mm-hmm. in some ways because of some of the criteria that they use to measure someone's credit worthiness. It sort of like rules out a lot of people who have been discriminated, frankly, to be able to like build wealth in this country and, and have credit and have access to credit, which then 
puts them in a position to not have good credit scores and all of that. And so it's a really, I don't know how to describe it, but other than to say that it's a vast open market. And so a Mm -hmm. call to listeners, if you are interested in entrepreneurship, particularly in personal finance, and you have a social driven, purpose driven mission, I think there's a lot of opportunity here and marketability. Um, How have you and your husband been celebrating your milestones? And what were you, what are you going to do when the 650 is gone from off the books. <laughs> we like when we reached our halfway point, we used all of our credit card points and went to New Zealand. <laughs> so we did like something crazy extravagant um, to celebrate. But well, it wasn't really extravagant. It was actually free, but we found um, a way to celebrate, you know, for free. And when we finish it all, I, we haven't decided yet, but something bigger than traveling to New Zealand, which is going to be hard to top, but um, we'll have all of our Instagram followers over for like a big party or something. I don't know. Oh it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be something great. But um, I think just like small celebrations, like go grab go grab a dinner you wouldn't normally grab. It doesn't even have to be something you pay for. Go on like a mountain bike ride you don't usually take time for, or yeah. um, things like that that you don't normally get to do because you're so busy hustling, paying off debt. Was the pandemic an accelerator for you in terms of um, getting a little bit further along your journey because you weren't spending like you normally would have? You weren't, I mean, you sounds like you already cut a lot out of your budget, but for many fortunate people during the pandemic who continue to stay employed, it was an <clears throat> opportunity to save and get ahead in some ways. Was that also the case for the two of you? It was not the case for us. So my husband's dental practice was shut down for eight or nine weeks. So we had no income. <laughs> and then we had twins on the way. So we actually started feeling really stressed about our savings. Like we'd had a few months of emergency savings in place. And I saw this trend um, all over. I think everyone all of a sudden was like, shoot, like savings are like really important. Like stuff like yeah. this happens. And uh, so for us, it was more of a shift of like, let's make sure we have like a solid six months of savings. And then we kind of picked, we actually paused our extra debt payments during the pandemic um, and then picked it back up. I was recommending that too, that uh, savings was priority. And if you didn't have it in the pandemic, like put everything else aside, forget your 401k contribution, forget your, Mm -hmm. you know, pay the minimums on everything that you have to, but really focus on saving. And it was easier during the pandemic to say that too, because they had lifted the um, payments, right? They they sort of paused payments for federal borrowers. So you didn't feel as like guilty, I guess, of, of, of ignoring them. You were giving, you're basically given permission to do that. And if you had to even, you know, to address savings even better. But now with pending legislation, I don't know what's going to happen with student loans. And where do you stand when someone asks you, hey, Amber, should I prioritize my student loan debt if I've got this potential windfall <laughs> coming from the government? What do you think? Yeah. My favorite thing I've been, t- I've been telling people is instead of like continuing to make their payments while they're paused is to put them in a high yield savings account and just wait and see what happens. So um, there's plenty of high yield savings accounts that'll have like higher interest than normal. So like maybe 1%. It's not going to make you tons of money, but your money can grow a little bit while um, we're waiting to see what happens in the fall. And then you can make a big lump sum payment if payments do resume or or not, but then you'll have the extra money. Um, sort of like escrow, create a student loan totally. escrow fund. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like being an entrepreneur from, you know, you said in your note to me before we were um, booked that you call yourself an accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> Sometimes that's the best way, right? When the universe yeah. just forces Come. you into something. I agree. Yeah. It was never 
never part of my plan. I was actually a criminal attorney, so I did criminal appeals. So like the entrepreneur, entrepreneur I can't even say the word. That's how much of not an entrepreneur <laughs> I am. <laughs> but that journey was not like, I did not see that in the cards for me at all. Um, so it's been a huge learning curve, especially um, being out there trying to get investors. And that kind of thing has been a whole new world for me, but it's so exciting and it's so fun. And I think just the way the economy is right now and the market is, it's a really exciting time to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's fun. It's scary. It's really stressful. It's stressful having kids at home while trying to do that. <laughs> but, How has it been for you as a woman in venture capital going and asking for funds? And How have those conversations been going? And have you had any learnings, any advice you would give to someone who is coming up behind you? Yeah, I think it's... Um, Again, kind of a good time to be a woman. There are all kinds of pop-up venture capital firms run by women who seek female founders to try to kind of bridge that gap that we're that we've seen in the past. And um, like, like for example, if I can be perfectly candid with you, I've got three or four meetings this week with purely women, um, women-led VC firms, and so that's a really exciting time. Like, I might not have had the opportunities I have right now. Um, I might not have had them five years ago, even. Um, I will shout out to my launch startup accelerator. Um, that's run by Jason Calacanis. He does this thing called Founders University. He pulled together 300 female founders and um, let a few of them pitch. I got to be a person who pitched to him in, in front of this, this group called Founders University, and that's how he chose my startup. And, you know, like, if that hadn't existed, I probably would have never, you know, like who knows if the app would have been invested in. So um, there are certainly resources out there. It's just a matter of seeking them and knocking on the door. Um, we, I was chatting with you for a minute ago, like you're like, you've emailed me like a bunch of times. <laughs> and I think there's something to that, um, especially if you're an entrepreneur, of just contacting people and contacting them again and again. People are busy. They're not going to be as um, excited about your product as you are. You have to make them excited. And so just getting out there and trying. Well, we appreciate you for it. And I think you're right now more than ever, there is a growing robust community of female capitalists who are giving the money. And of course, entrepreneurs always that we're you know forced to be reckoned with us female entrepreneurs. So it's a good time. Uh, if listeners, you know, again, um, we're biased, you know, we, yeah. we like working <laughs> for ourselves. But I think that even with the pandemic, and the economy being uncertain, some would argue it's a perfect time to get out of the nine to five. In fact, we're seeing a mass exodus of people leaving corporate America looking for maybe new jobs, but a lot of them are going to be starting on their own too. So it'll be really interesting to see where we are this time next year. And we'll certainly be following you, Amber. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Parnish. Thanks so much to Amber for joining us. Check out thepaidbackapp.com to download the app. That's The Paid Back App. I'll put that link on the website. And Amber's website is deeplyindebt.com for more debt advice. See you back here on Friday for a fresh episode of Ask Farnoosh. Send me your questions on Instagram. You can direct message me there at Farnoosh Tarabi, or you can go on the So Money Podcast website, click on Ask Farnoosh and directly send me your question there. More soon. And in the meantime, I hope your day is so money. So money.